Before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you about a free three-act worksheet to help you structure your story. Whether you're a plotter or a pantser, a novelist or short fiction writer, this three-act worksheet will help you navigate your material and even begin each new story with a better plan. Download yours at nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. Stop getting stuck in the middle of your draft. Go grab this free worksheet, nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. It's the she was, she had that grammatically isolates the single moment in which she steps back and looks at the story of her life. So split moments are a great way to slip in necessary backstory or character background that helps give context for what's happening in the story's present. Writer Unleashed is for you, a writer who has a story you want to bring onto the page and into the hearts and minds of readers. I'm Nancy Pinuccio, writer, editor, and writing coach. And each week, we'll explore techniques, mindsets, and inspiration for writing stories readers can't put down. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's begin. do you turn good writing into great writing? How do you create sentences and paragraphs that are dramatic, that engage, thrill, and surprise your reader? How do you take flat, inert sentences and make them come alive? In this episode, I'm sharing three techniques to help you write in a way that thrills, engages, and hooks your reader. These are techniques I can almost guarantee you haven't heard before. These are techniques I learned from my MFA advisors and teachers, and they have completely transformed the way I write and the way I create sentences. It's transformed the way I start stories and how I bring drama right on the sentence and paragraph level. Words on their own are dead and inert, but there are things we can do grammatically and structurally in our sentences and paragraphs to make the story ultimately as a whole more exciting to read. So let's get right to it. Technique number one, but constructions. I learned this from Doug Glover and it changed everything. So this is where you create drama at the sentence and paragraph level. By drama, I mean there's a clash of ideas. There are contrasts, contradiction, and most important, surprise for the reader. Sentences are flat when they're one level, when there's no surprising juxtapositions or reversals in reader expectations. So what is a butt construction? I mean, what the heck do we mean by that? Well, simply put, the idea is to take any declarative sentence, a simple statement, and add a but to it. 
or any similar synonym or punctuation. For example, line breaks in a sentence or paragraph. The but or the implied but sets up a contradiction, contrast, surprise, reversal, paradox, or comparison. Doug Glover calls this a fight within the sentence. It thwarts expectations. So you take any declarative sentence and you add a but at the end. For example, here's the opening line from Dennis Johnson's story, Dundon. I went out to the farmhouse where Dundon lived to get some pharmaceutical opium from him. Simple declarative sentence. It gives us information. But look what happens when Johnson adds a but. I went out to the farmhouse where Dundon lived to get some pharmaceutical opium from him, but I was out of luck. So the but embeds conflict right within the sentence, and it sets the story in motion. Now, this technique, the but construction, is a great way to launch your story in the very first sentence. It immediately sets up conflict. The conflict is built right into the sentence. Here are some examples from Doug Lover. I thought my wife had left me, but she is back. What she has been doing the last two years, I have no idea. It can also be an implied but. I am in bed with a woman who looks like a movie star, and I have lost my memory. The and is the implied but. Now, a but construction can be anywhere in the story. It's very effective when describing or revealing characters. For example, the fat man who's also a heartthrob. He's this, but he's also that. It's implied. Here's an example from Elizabeth McCracken's novel, Niagara Falls All Over Again. In this passage, Mose describes the second time he meets his vaudeville partner, Rocky, drawing contrast between Rocky's stage persona and his private persona. When people ask me what he was like, I always want to say the one thing they won't believe. He was good looking. They have eyes, these people. And they've seen the party in question plenty. Dark hair sticking up, sloppy fat, useless with his hands and feet, squeaky, breathless. With rare exceptions, if you wanted to make it in the movies, you had to choose between funny and handsome. Fred Astaire and Stan Laurel could be brothers, but Which one's the heartthrob? Even a voice makes a difference in how good-looking you are, and Rocky's real voice was knowing and slow. He could have made a living off of it if things had gone differently. He was handsome the way Babe Ruth was handsome, a combination of confidence and being glad to see you, a back-slapping man, a handshaker, a kisser, of babies and pretty girls. So notice the contradiction and the contrasts built right into the structure of the sentences. 
Moe's thought Rocky was a dark-haired clown in makeup, a patsy, an overexcited fat man. But no, he's a blonde guy in a suit. He's fat and sloppy, squeaky and breathless, but he's also good-looking. He's flirtatious, charming, a kisser of babies and pretty girls. So there's an implicit he's this, but he's also that, woven throughout the passage. The butt construction creates this mental drama, this clash of ideas, this clash of expectations and outcomes. So a butt construction is a great way to open a story or even find your way into a story. And it's also a great technique to bring contrasts, juxtaposition, and conflict right on the sentence or paragraph level. But most important, it creates surprise for the reader. Okay, on to technique number two, split moments. I learned this from Abby Frucht. A split moment is when a character isolates a single moment in which she steps back from herself and looks at the story of her life. It happens during the action. It could be a conversation or some other action your character is engaged in, and they pull away from the moment and look at the story of their life. Here are some examples of split moments from Antonia Nelson's story, Stitches. The story takes place between a mother and daughter talking on the phone in the middle of the night. Now, the daughter is in college, 100 miles away, and she calls her mom to tell her about a sexual encounter, which she's distressed and confused over. And over the course of the story, we learn that it wasn't a rape. It was consensual. It was with her professor. It was just a bad, confusing experience for her. So here's a quick excerpt. He's my movement teacher, she began, and what followed was not surprising, not to Ellen, who had also been to college, who had also developed crushes on professors, who knew all about the liberal arts. So who'd been is the grammatical point that isolates it from the present action. It's a split moment where she's stepping away from the moment and looking at the sum of her life in relationship to the action at hand. In this case, what her daughter is talking about. Here's another excerpt. It was unnerving to be this girl's mother. She was so forthcoming so frankly healthy and unfucked up. How had she gotten this way? Ellen felt somehow excluded from the process. She wasn't so healthy herself, still vaguely anorexic, still drinking too much and smoking occasionally, lying to her husband about her affections. She kept secrets, not in drawers or closets or diaries, but in her heart, behind her eyes, on her lips. Tracy's admirable openness seemed not to have been inherited from Ellen, so it must have come from her father. At another point, her daughter mentions that she and the professor had been at a bar earlier that night. 
Shouldn't a mother reprimand a girl who is four years too young to be at a bar? But where could she begin with this reprimand? She herself had been to bars underage, to the homes of professors and married men, to the apartment of her ex-lover, and not so long ago. It's the she was, she had, that grammatically isolates the single moment in which she steps back and looks at the story of her life. So split moments are a great way to slip in necessary backstory or character background that helps give context for what's happening in the story's present. So technique number two, split moments. Okay, on to technique number three, progressive disburdenment. I learned this from Christopher Knoll, who borrowed it from a music composer. Now, we talk a lot about movement or change within a character. And one way to think about character change is as a progressive shedding of a belief or worldview or some suppressed truth or emotional burden that the character needs to unload gradually by the end of the story. For example, in Lolita, Humbert Humbert goes through most of the novel suppressing what he knows is true, that what he's doing to Lolita, manipulating her, bribing her to get what he wants, is fundamentally wrong, immoral, and criminal. He spends most of the novel in denial. He justifies his actions. He subterfuges his own knowledge that what he's doing is reprehensible. But it isn't until the end that he acknowledges the harm he's done to Lolita, and there's profound regret. If he didn't have that moment, there would be no change or transformation, and the novel would not work. Humbert's truth has been bearing pressure on the narrative the whole time, and when he finally voices the truth, when he speaks what we already know, he unburdens himself. He unburdens himself and he unburdens us because if he didn't have that moment of unburdening the truth, the consequences of what he'd done, we would not be able to relieve our own burden. And this is especially true because Humbert seduces the reader. He doesn't just seduce Lolita and we become complicit in his affair with Lolita. We become voyeurs. Now, progressive disburdenment doesn't necessarily refer to a character's emotional burden as it does in Lolita. It could, but it could also refer to a package of reality that's put forth progressively in the narrative. So it's progressive. It's not put on in the middle of the story or fully at the end. A great example of this is Brady Udall's flash fiction story, The Wig. My eight-year-old son found a wig in the garbage dumpster this morning. I walked into the kitchen, highly irritated that I couldn't make a respectable knot in my green paisley tie, and there he was at the table, eating cereal and reading the funnies, the wig pulled tightly over his hair, like a football helmet. The wig was a dirty bush of curly blonde hair, 
the kind you might see on a prostitute or someone who is trying to imitate Marilyn Monroe. I asked him where he got the wig and he told me his mouth full of cereal. When I advised him that we do not wear things we find in the garbage, he simply continued eating and reading as if he didn't hear me. I wanted him to take that wig off, but I couldn't ask him to do it. I forgot all about my tie and going to work. I looked out the window where a mist fell slowly on the street. I paced into the living room and back, trying hard not to look at my son. He ignored me. I could hear him munching cereal and rustling paper. There was a picture or a memory, real or imagined, that I couldn't get out of my mind. Last spring, before the accident, my wife was sitting in the chair where now my son always sits. She was reading the paper to see how the Blackhawks did the night before, and her sleep must hair was only slightly longer and darker than the hair of my son's wig. I wondered whether my son had a similar picture in his head or if he had a picture at all. I watched him and he finally looked up at me, but his face was blank. He went back to his reading. I walked around the table, picked him up and held him against my chest. I pressed my nose into that wig and it smelled not like the clean shampoo scent I might have been hoping for, but like old lettuce. I suppose it didn't matter at that point. My son put his smooth arms around my neck, and for maybe a few seconds, we were together again, the three of us. So, progressive disburdenment. We meet this father and son on the bare stage of their grief. The characters know that mom is no longer there, but we learn it progressively. We learn why the son is wearing the wig, and why it upsets his father. It's a package of reality that's put forth progressively, not fully at the end. Okay, let's recap. We talked about three little-known techniques to help you take your story from good to great. Number one, butt constructions. Number two, split moments. And number three, progressive disburdenment. This is either a character's emotional burden or a package of reality that's put forth progressively over the course of the story. These techniques really helped me think about story in a whole new way, to think about sentences in a whole new way, and how information is distributed throughout the story. I hope these techniques give you an edge when it comes to writing and revising your story. So there you have it. Thanks for hanging out with me today. And if you know any writers who need some support in their writing, please share this episode or the Writer Unleashed podcast in general. And if you love what you're listening to, subscribe on your favorite listening platform and please leave me a review. Reading how this podcast impacts your writing truly lights me up and helps me create topics for the show. Till next time, keep writing, and I'll talk to you soon.